This is recording number 10949 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, October 23, 2011. This is the 26th message in the series titled, Doctor's Gospel. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, For You. Isaiah 53. Once you find that, stick something in that place. I don't know, a donut, a noodle, something to hold the the spot. (laughs) And then, then turn to Luke in the New Testament, third book in the New Testament, chapter 22. Luke 22. We're going to continue our study called the Doctor's Gospel of the book of Luke. Now we're closing in on the end of this, uh, of Luke's account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And um, boy, these last few chapters are just so thick with depth of meaning and and just so much going on that it really is, uh, it's it's overwhelming to try to figure out what what to share with you on Sunday mornings. And I'm going to leave just so many things on the table. But that's why you have a Bible in your hand because you can dig into it more deeply yourself. I'm actually only going to focus on a couple of verses out of chapter 22 today. But I want to just set the stage by reading with you the first three verses. Because this, just to give you a flavor of what this chapter is like. It, it starts off like a good... I mean, not that, that it's... I don't mean to, to make it sound as though I think that um, Luke was over-dramatizing or that his intention was to uh, create a screenplay here. But the chapter begins like a good film or a good novel. There's, first of all, the atmosphere. The, the back In a good story, the atmosphere is part of the story. The, the context is part of the story. And so in verse 1 he says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. Passover was a Jewish uh, feast that uh, celebrated uh, the night when, uh, in Egypt, when the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt, when God delivered them from that slavery by causing the death of the uh, firstborn of all of the Egyptians and the Israelites were instructed to, to uh, put the blood of, a, of, a, of the lamb that was slain and then eaten as part of the Passover meal put the blood over the doorway of their homes and then the, the, the death that was unleashed on the people of, or the, the stubborn hearted God, uh, idolatrous people of Egypt would pass over their homes. And um, so that marked the, the beginning of their life as a nation and the, their travels to the, the promised land. But the significance about Passover uh, is, is uh, 
very important to the story that's unfolding in these last three, three chapters. And so it, we're told at the beginning that the backdrop, the canvas that is going to be painted on in this chapter is Passover is near. Then the antagonists in the story are introduced. The chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him. The him there is Jesus. Then, in verse 3, it says that Satan entered Judas. This is the twist in the story. It's kind of an unexpected twist and turn that, that uh, one of Jesus' own disciples would be, uh, become in league with the, uh, the scribes and Pharisees, the chief priests, and so it says that Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. And most of you are familiar, familiar enough with the story that is about to unfold in these uh, verses that I'm not going to lay it all out. But I just want to set the stage. This is a very dramatic point in the uh, unfolding of the gospel. What I want you to look at is verses 19 and um, 20. This is very familiar stuff. Uh, if you've hung around with Christians very long, undoubtedly you've been exposed to what we call the Eucharist or communion. And here at Crossroads on the first Sunday of each month, we partake of communion where we eat a small piece of broken bread and we drink uh, some grape juice, the fruit of the vine. And those are very, very important symbols to us about what our Savior did on the cross. And he instituted, our Savior Jesus instituted this um, rehearsal, the, the, the resetting. You know, communion to me is kind of like, a, for us here at Crossroads, it's like a monthly reset. We get back to the very basic and powerful truth of the gospel. And wherever we might sort of meander from that point, uh, we come back to the communion table and boom, we're there again. We know what we're doing and why, what this is about. And so Jesus instituted that on the night he was betrayed. And we've heard these words before, but I want, you to, I want to ask you to look at these verses with fresh perspective, fresh eyes. 19. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying. Now, this was not an odd thing. They were taking dinner together so that he would take out a piece of matzah and break it and pass it to them. It was not something that would have been unexpected. But he did this, and then he filled it with meaning that they probably, I know, they did not expect. He said, this broken piece of bread symbolizes my body given... For you. I want you to remember those two words. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then verse 20. Likewise he also took the cup and after supper saying this cup is the new covenant. In my blood. Which is shed for you. Now we know from the... The remainder of Luke's gospel, the other gospel writers, and, and uh, on into the epistles of the, of the New Testament. We know that the, the disciples still are a bit clueless about what's about to happen, even though Jesus has been crystal clear with them. He's told them exactly what's going to happen. But 
for them, for him to say, this is about my broken body. This is about my shed blood. I'm, I know they still aren't getting it, but I know he also wanted them when the lights come on. You ever had that experience where something that you didn't quite understand all of a sudden crystallizes in your mind? Jesus is setting them up for that moment when it dawns on them, when they finally realize what's going on. I know he wants for them to remember these two words. This is for you. I want to talk to you today about these two verses, what Jesus was saying and who he was saying it to. So turn back now to Isaiah 53, that place I had you mark earlier. Because when he was saying, this is my body given for you, this is my blood, or a new covenant in my blood, a new agreement, a new contract between men and God. In my blood. And he said this I'm doing for you. He was. Without, without direct, uh, re- directly quoting. He was uh, reminding them of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And what he said in chapter 53 verse 5. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born. He is prophesying about the one to come, the Messiah, the Savior that would come. And he says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. All of the things that Jesus will be suffering within hours of these moments when he says, here, take this, take this bread... Take this cup. I'm breathing meaning into these for you. This is my body broken, given for you. This is my, a new covenant in my blood. And this is for you. He was, he was talking about these things. Isaiah said the Messiah, the one who would come, would be wounded for our transgressions. The word wounded means pierced through. He was going to bleed I know this is not a pleasant subject. Who wants to talk about that? We have a lot of healthcare professionals in the room, and you probably don't, you don't mind the, the, the thought of blood. But a lot of us, you know, we're kind of a little squeamish about it. And I hate to bring it up, except that our salvation is based on the blood of Jesus Christ that covers our sin. Jesus said he was pierced through. Or Isaiah said the Messiah would be pierced through, wounded to pay for our rebellion, wounded for our transgressions. The word transgression there means rebellion. There, you know, sometimes people get the idea that Jesus, that the blood of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us this, cleanses us from all sin. But they think of it in terms, we think of it in terms that he cleanses us from all sins. And yes, he does. And we'll get that in, in a, to that in a minute. But really, what he's dealing with is not the things that we do. You know, the evil things, the wicked things, the sinful things we do. God sent Jesus to take care of the reason we do those evil things. Which is because as a race, we have turned our back on God and rebelled against his authority. That's what Adam and Eve were doing in the Garden of Eden when they thumbed their nose at God and said, No thanks, we'll do it our own way. We're a part of that race. That is rebellion. We're really good at rebellion here in the United States. In fact, we celebrate it. We're a, a nation of rebels. We, we, we like our James Dean posters 
Anybody know who James yeah. Dean is? I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know who he is. <laughs> Get out of your phone. Get on the web and find it, right? <laughs> yeah, not the sauce. Not the sausage. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. But we are, I mean, our, our nation was founded on a rebellion. And so we, uh, we celebrate rebellion here. But in the terms and con- the context of our relationship with God, it is not a good thing. And it is why Jesus had to come and why he had to die on the cross for us. So Jesus, when he was saying, this is for you, he's saying, I'm going to be wounded. I'm going to be pierced through for your rebellion. I'm going to be bruised to cleanse your evil. The word bruised there means crushed, crushed. And I don't need to be graphic about this. You guys are aware of, of many films and other things that depict what Jesus suffered but the, every aspect of what he suffered had purpose. He was pierced through to deal with our rebellion. He received those blows that the, that the Bible tells us rendered his face unrecognizable to deal with our uh, evil, our sins, plural, the things that we do as a result of being in rebellion against God. He took that in payment for our sins. And then it says that he was chastised for our peace. The word behind that word translated chastised there is the kind of word, the word that describes the kind of rebuke that comes from a, a parent to a child. And, you know, that, uh, it's all about instruction. No, 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 don't do that. Let's do this. This is a better way to do it. This is a, a more righteous way to do it. It's a, yes, it's a stopping of a, of a bad behavior, but it's an encouraging of something new. It's instructive, right? It's, but it's not used in this context in that way. What it's saying here is Jesus, our Messiah, took the false accusations. Because they couldn't even get two people to agree on what they ought to try him for. There was nothing that Jesus was uh, guilty of as he stood before the Sanhedrin. And yet, he stood there and took all of that false accusation, all of this stuff, so that I could have peace. You know, the Bible says that the devil is the accuser of of the brethren. Have you ever had that guy barking in your ear? You lousy sinner, you'll never amount to anything. God doesn't care about you. All of that kind of stuff, that comes from hell. And Jesus took all of that kind of false accusation, all that accusation, so that I could have peace. And then it says that he was striped or um, his back was laid open with that whip, that horrible experience. To offer us healing. And healing at every dimension of life. Spirit, soul and body. Whatever ails you. He bought your healing. So when he stood there. Or or actually uh, sat there. 
reclined there at the table with his disciples and looked at these guys and he said, this is for you. That's what he was talking about. And I want to close this out today by discussing for a minute who he was talking to. So let's now turn to Mark, the book right before Luke, and chapter 3. Because Mark chapter 3 gives us the list of the disciples, the apostles, the guys in the room. When Jesus was at that table and said, this is for you, he was talking about me. And he was talking about Lauren. He was talking about Jim. He was talking about Verna. He was talking about us. This is for, when he said, this is for you, I get to claim that too. So do you. But let's not forget that there were actual guys in the room And they were the ones, first and foremost, that he was saying these words to. This is for you. And, you know, sometimes we have this kind of stained glass mindset about the apostles. As though they were, you know, statues in, in a basilica in Rome somewhere. They were just human beings. And they had a lot of... They had a lot of stuff in their own lives. They had a lot of failings. They had a lot of weaknesses. They had a lot of need. They weren't perfect in any way. And when Jesus said, this is for you, I'm giving my body for you. I'm shedding my blood for you. I think it's instructive for us to consider who was sitting across the table from him. First of all, Mark chapter 3, verse 13, I won't read it all, but you can. Between 13 and verse 19, it gives us the names of the apostles, and I'm going to just take them in order that it's, that it's given to us here. The first was Peter. Peter was a denier. In fact, in the passage in Luke where we started, Jesus uh, prophesies about Luke's denying him. He said, you know, Peter is all... I'm going to stand with you you till the end. And Jesus says, no, you're not. I love you, Peter, but look, let's get real. Before the night's over, you're going to deny you even know me three times. Have you ever denied the Lord? Have you ever had the opportunity to stand up and be counted as one of his and you didn't? Have you ever engaged in activities, you know, laughed at somebody's joke, went somewhere with people you know you shouldn't, that that just the, the activity of engaging with them or going there or being part of that or even being silent in the midst of whatever else is going on betrayed the fact that you're a follower of Christ? I have. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, You're going to screw up and you're going to screw up bad. And I already know about it. But I love you. My body's going to be broken, given for you. My blood is going to be shed for you. Then there was James and John. James and John, Jesus nicknamed them. And I love this. I mean, I just love the fact that Jesus gave nicknames to people. And he nicknamed James and John the Sons of Thunder. And you've heard me say this before, but I cannot get it out of my mind. I picture these guys with the leather vest and the thing on the back that says Sons of Thunder. (laughs) They were impulsive and they were arrogant. These were guys, 
They came to, James and John came to Jesus one day. They're brothers. They're fishermen. They came to Jesus one day and they said, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, oh, what would that be? Well, when you come into your kingdom, we want to sit on the right and left hand. <laughs> and these are the guys who... When they, they encountered, the, when they were traveling to Jerusalem with Jesus on the way to the events that would lead to the cross, they passed through Samaria where Jesus had, had a very significant ministry. But the people, when they found out, the Samaritans found out that he was headed to Jerusalem to the, to the uh, you know, lion's den. They hated the Jews. Uh, then they didn't want anything to do with him and they wouldn't let him stay the night in, in uh, one of their villages. And so James and John come to Jesus and they said, Would you like us to call down fire from heaven on these people? <laughs> I mean, have you... <laughs> Need I ask, have you ever been a little arrogant or impulsive when it comes to the things of the Lord? I have. Jesus said, James, John, cool your jets. I'm going to the cross for you. Then there was Andrew, Peter's brother. He was, um, he was just, there, we don't really know a whole lot about Andrew, to be honest. We know he was a fisherman. We know he was a, part, a, a brother of Peter's. We know they were partners in, in the trade. But aside from being just your average Joe, tradesman, fisherman guy, we don't know a whole lot. But I dare say there's a lot of us here that think of ourselves that way. We're just average Joe. You know, we're, we're, we're just, we just go to work every day and try to follow Jesus and be good moms and dads to our kids and wives and husbands to our spouses. And, you know, we don't think very highly of us. But Jesus looked across the table at Andrew, this guy that kind of kept his head low. There's no book of Andrew in the Bible. He said, and, Andy? I'm going to go to the cross for you. And then there was Philip. Philip was a pragmatist. He's the guy that when there was 5,000 people to feed and Jesus comes to him and, and says, Philip, Phil, how are we going to feed all these people? He was testing him. Phil, how are we going to feed all these people? Philip whips out his calculator and he does the math and he says, 200 denarii is not going to be enough, Jesus. We don't have enough. Have you ever been that guy? I am that guy all the time. <laughs> all the time. And I am always, Jesus is saying, let's do this. Let's feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And I'm going, we can't do it. Can't be done. I can't. Come on, let's go, Randy. I can't, we can't do it. Who's going who's gonna to take care of this? Who's going to? It can't be done. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough, you know. Who's going to vacuum? Who's going to vacuum? <laughs> Jesus looked across the table at Philip. Phil, I'm going to the cross for you. For you. Then there was Bartholomew. Sometimes he's called Nathaniel. We don't hear much about Bartholomew at all, except that when Philip shared the good news that Jesus was on the scene with Bartholomew, he says, hey, Bart, we have found the Messiah. Jesus of Nazareth. Bartholomew's response was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
Now listen, we don't know because we, we are culturally so far removed from that. But he, he was really uh, making a statement, a statement that was akin to a racial slur. He, he, he was saying, yeah, right. As though one of those people could be the Messiah. You know, I, I gotta, I'm going to just be you know, straight up with you. I never, ever considered myself to be any, any, have any sort of ethnic or racial prejudice in my body. Until I started traveling to Asia twice a year and being with people from all over the world and until the Lord assigned me a congregation that was 90% Asian at the time. And I had to examine my heart in a fresh way. And it wasn't that I, I had anything bad in my mind about anybody of any other culture or, or ethnicity or race. But I, I, also, I also, the flip side of that is I also didn't have high expectations of them. I hope that doesn't sound horrible, but I had to stare that down in my life and ask Jesus to forgive me. The Lord looked across the table at Bart and said, Bart, I know what you're thinking, but I'm going to the cross for you. And uh, then it was Matthew. Now, Matthew was a white-collar criminal. He was tax collector, and the way he made his living was he was assigned certain quotas, and if he could get, whatever he could get above his quota, by the, you know, he had the quotas he had to produce for the Roman government, but anything above that was his. That's how he, that's how the tax collectors made their living. Matthew, I'm going to the cross for you. This is my body given for you. Then there was Thomas. You know the story. We call him Doubting Thomas. I don't really think that Thomas was a doubter. And I have the word skeptical on the, on the screen here because I don't think that Thomas was a skeptic. The skeptic has already decided not to believe. I don't think he was a skeptic. I think he was just skeptical. But still, um, you know, he was the one who said, until I can stick my fingers in the holes in his hand, I'm not going to believe. I have been there. Until I see it, till I hear it, until I won't believe. Jesus looked across the table to Thomas and he said, Thomas, I know some things about you you don't even know yet. But I'm telling you in advance. The holes, the place of the spear in my side that's going to be so important for you to see someday, they're for you. They're for you. James and uh, Thaddeus, these are guys that, you know, aside from this list in Mark, we don't know anything about really. They, they really were completely unremarkable as far as we're concerned, as far as history was concerned, but not Jesus. This passage in Mark, in verse 13, it says he, he called to himself those he wanted. He didn't get James and Thaddeus just because they were on the bargain table and they were cheap. It wasn't an impulse buy. 
These are the guys he wanted. We may not know about them, but he does. There's an awful lot of stuff that no one will never know about you, but Jesus does. And he said, Jim, Tad, I'm going to the cross for you. Then there was Simon um, the Zealot. And he was part of a, of a um, political faction, the Zealots, that were, this was, this guy, let's make it, I'll just cut to the chase. This guy, Simon, was a fire-breathing reactionary, a revolutionary, however you want to describe it, against the Roman government. In fact, the, the group that he was a part of would eventually become assassins. He was on his way to becoming one of these guys who would be, who would um, assassinate Roman uh, leaders. That's where he was. Jesus looked across the table and he, to Simon. He said, Simon, I'm going on the cross for you. I'm going to give you a new cause. And then there was Judas. I, I, it's hard for me to relate to Judas, but mainly because I don't want to. But you know, when you reduce it down, yes, Judas betrayed the Lord into the hands of of his enemies. But what he was really doing. Now, now I know that's, this is not the end of the story. But, but think about this with me. What he was really doing. Was he was using Jesus for personal gain. Now that. I hate to admit. I have been guilty of. I've thought. At times, in terms of what my allegiance to Jesus will gain me, I'll have a better marriage. I might do better in my employment, my career. Maybe the blessings of God, you know, he'll throw in a big screen TV. You, know. you hear me? And Jesus, you know, I won't go, have you go back there, but if you read the passage a little bit, you know, one verse beyond, verse 21 in Luke 22, after Jesus says, this is for you, then it says, and the hand, he says, Jesus says, and the hand of the one who will betray me is on the table with mine right now. He knew it was coming. And yet, he didn't say, this is for you, except Judas. This, this, my blood, a new covenant, a new agreement. Be with you and God. This is for you, except Judas. No. He, he was including Judas. Now, I'm not, you know, I don't know the state of Judas's end. I don't know. Don't, so don't ask me. I don't know. But I know in that upper room, he was included in the gospel. This is for you. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as I close. And you're going to notice that this picture is me. And maybe you can find yourself in there too. The list of guys that Jesus was 
So the gospel, I guess, of what I'm trying to say is the gospel is very, very personal. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was pierced through for my rebellion. He was crushed for my evil. He was chastised so that I could have peace. And his back was laid open so that I could be healed. And that's true for you too. 